This is the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Welcome to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast, coming to you from the French capital as Paris gets ready for the second Grand Slam of the year, Roland Garros. I'm Gigi Salmon. I should start by saying that we are recording this on Friday evening in Paris, telling you that because so much can happen in the build-up to a Grand Slam. So this is everything that has happened up until Friday evening. And we're speaking to you from the hotel that I'm going to be staying at with the two men who join me on the podcast tonight. We're all working together for the French Tennis Federation on Radio Roland Garros, which ATP Tennis Radio is rebroadcasting. And I'm very happy to say that in the hotel courtyard, Matt Brown and Nick McCarver. And Matt, you, I'm just happy you're still awake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's always a long flight coming from the other side of the world, from New Zealand. But great to be here once again, Gigi, with, uh, with you and Nick. Uh, it feels like a bit of deja vu. Uh, 12 months ago, 12 months can fly in the world of tennis, that's for sure. It's amazing, isn't it? It feels like today, just walking around and speaking to everyone, it feels like we were. It wasn't. It wasn't a year ago that we were all here. No, it. Um, I can remember they they called it the demolition uh, party at the end of Roland Garros last year, <laughs> and it certainly is a rebuilt Roland Garros. It's a fantastic centre court, the Chartier Centre Court, and the new court in the uh, Botanical Gardens is, is spectacular too. So it's a much bigger venue now, a lot more space, and uh, certainly um, you know centre court is is really impressive. Well, Nick, you actually had to. I felt sort of like a new girl my first day at school <laughs> when I got there. You actually sort of guided me around because everything from the media room to where the new court is to everything's just a little bit different. Yeah, the media are down in the museum where the museum usually is. They've now turned that into the media space, which I actually think they've done quite a good job. It's one big room. Imagine 300 reporters, photographers, radio personalities. It's going to get really noisy in there. All in one room. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. Uh, and, and we don't have to be stuck in there the whole time, which <laughs> I'm a little bit thankful for. But also, it does feel, it's always exciting, obviously, to come back for all of us and to have a Grand Slam on the calendar. But there's just this newness, this freshness to Roland Garros this year. Chatrier, I think, you know, if you're watching it on TV, do yourself the favor and find pictures and videos from behind the scenes because the thing feels different. The court might look the same, I think, from court level, mm. but it feels very different. That stadium, it's expanded. It's got almost like the Coliseum ring around the edges that makes it feel very um, even bigger than it is. Next year we'll have the roof and that beautiful court Simon Matu. I mean, that place is, they've done a fantastic, a really good job. It's a little bit of a walk as you experienced today. I did, actually, when I said to Nick, I said, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to go to court Simon Mathieu. How long is it going to take me? And Nick looked at his watch. I don't know whether you think I'm a really slow walker. You're like, for you know, I'm not sure. It's, and I was, I was preparing myself for a hike. It wasn't too bad because you go through the, the orangery, you go through yeah. the botanical gardens. It's absolutely beautiful. And then you come up to the greenhouses and you've actually, for, for Live at RG, the, the web show that we're going to be working on, you've actually done a feature on what is a breathtaking court. It's sunken in the ground and it's literally, it's literally surrounded by greenhouses and they've done these overhang of glasses that keeps the sound in. It, map, it might keep the, the warmth, the sun in if we get any hot days. Uh, 5,000 fans just over and there's one of the main roads comes right by it. You can't hear any of the traffic. They really have done a standout job because, you know, sometimes when new tennis courts come about, you feel like you're kind of losing part of history because something gets knocked down here. The court one keeps living on. We keep uh, writing its <laughs> obituary year after year. It's uh, the farewells. We're going to use court one again this year, but uh, fantastic to have the new court. Yeah, it sure. certainly is. And if you are coming to Roland Garros the next couple of weeks, I promise you it's not a long walk over to court Simone Matthew. Speaking to you from our hotel courtyard, it's Friday evening. The sun is setting. There's a little bit of a breeze blowing. The conditions have been really good. And, and Matt, what for you was your first reaction when you walked in, maybe when you walked up into the steps of, of Philippe Chatrier? Uh, it just felt bigger. It felt, um, well, it felt so new to the point that there were some workmen still uh, working on the upper reaches of the, of the stadium and hammering a few things together. It literally has gone down to the wire to the last minute. And Nick mentioned the media centre. You know, it's a temporary media centre for this year. That's going to be rebuilt as part of the new stadium for next year. Uh, they've done a great job to be able to 
you know, get it get it ready in 12 months to play. And um, from all accounts, and I haven't seen the player facilities, but they've also been um, vastly improved as well. Um, the player um, restaurants, etc., um, the locker rooms. So you know, it's overall, I think they've done a very good job in a short space of time. And they're really bringing into Roland Garros this year the environment. Some quotes about going to RG is a bit like going for a stroll in the country. They really want to fuse nature with tennis. And you can see that from the courts of Momachi. We talked about surrounded by the greenhouses. Just everywhere you look, it feels like a little bit of nature has been brought closer to the tennis. Yeah, because I think Roland Garros has always been, you know, it's been so compact and it's always been so tight and the, and the crowds are in. Uh, difficult to get around, probably more so than, than all the other Grand Slams. Now it's certainly got a much roomier feel to it. I think it's going to be terrific. And, and you're right about the nature. It really does look um, spectacular. Yeah, I hope we've sort of painted a little bit of a picture for those who are coming here or those who aren't able to get here. To the tennis, here to talk a lot about that. Just a quick list of, of players, just some of the high-profile names to miss out. Milos Raonic, John Isner, Kevin Anson, Thomas Burdick. And today, the news coming through, Matt, that Nick Kyrgios has withdrawn due to illness. Yeah, he's got to be um, quite sick because, you know, realistically, he might only play. He could be playing, what, as late as a Tuesday start or certainly a Monday, Monday or Tuesday start. And we're only on Friday as we're speaking, recording this today. So, so yes, yeah, certainly he must have been pretty ill this week for um, for Nick to make the call so early. Um, usually if players are sick they would he was just, I think he said he was spent, just got no energy, um, really, really not well so whether it's a glandular fever type illness um, that can do that to you but yeah, really a, a shame despite what happened in Rome last week um, I was saying to someone back in New Zealand before I left you know, who's the one player that if you're a Nadal or a Djokovic, you know, you don't want to draw on the first round when he's unseen and it's probably curious. so the fact that he's not here I'm sure, I'm sure in fact Cameron Norrie uh, his parents were on the same plane as me and they were worried about him facing, I a chat with them facing. Oh, uh, tell us Kyrgios. what else did you um, talk about the, with Cameron Norrie's parents? Well, exactly. They got this exclusive suddenly <laughs> just pop this in. So well, they live they live in Auckland, my home, my hometown, and uh, and I had a good catch up with them. Uh, uh, both at Dubai Airport and on the plane. And, and Please yeah, tell me you were, didn't talk to them for the whole flight. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> def, def, definitely not. But certainly, um, you know, I think they're a little bit relieved now that when they got that news this afternoon. But what else did they tell you about? Cameron. Well, one of the things they're doing, they're going um, to London. Um, I'm sure Cam won't mind um, sharing this to help him look for a house, to look for a, 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 a flat, basically, to buy over there. So, Because, um, of course, they do the long distance parenting. He's a young man and, and he wanted a bit of family help. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, it's good to get the parents involved for things like that. Now, Nick, I'm gonna, we're going to start with the big three. Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic and the returning to Roland Garros, hmm. Roger Federer. Let's start Let's start with Nadal, 11-time champion. We could look at his year, we could look at his clay court season and say, well, hang on a second, this guy is perhaps more vulnerable than in recent years, but it's a completely different beast when you arrive, Roland Garros, Philippe Chatrier, and you add in the best of five sets. Yeah, and uh, there was that viral clip that went around last week in Rome where Rafa was asked about his clay season. And he was using the word happened, and Rafa likes to uh, over-enunciate sometimes his English. So happened, happened, happened. And, <laughs> but actually, the point that he is making is that what did happen in Monte Carlo, in Barcelona, in Madrid, and now, honestly, Gigi in Rome, it doesn't matter. And the fact that he comes in as Rome champion, now I think he, he just gets to shake off all of uh, those questions that were following him throughout the clay season. You haven't reached a final. You haven't won a title. But this is Rafa, the 11-time champion. He, he's won here uh, almost more than anyone else has. You know, only uh, Martina Navratilova. She's got 12 titles in Chicago. Otherwise, you've got no player has won an event 12 times. So that's what Rafa's trying to equal. He's trying to become the first player to win a major title 12 times. And really, what happened in the weeks leading up to, that was pretty good, <laughs> actually on accident, in the last few weeks on red clay, it doesn't matter. Because over five sets, the physicality, and when you start to look at his draw, I mean, this is a chance for him to get revved up. He's going to get a qualifier in both the first two rounds. And you just feel like, I feel like, He's been building towards this. We've talked about Djokovic building towards this, and we could have the clash of the two in the final. But just for me, the question marks no longer swirl around Rafa. I think he's actually had the perfect preparation for Roland Garros. It is a heavy top half. That bottom half also has Roger Federer in, but are we looking, are you looking, Matt, as 
at Roger Federer as a realistic contender because he's been away so long. How are you feeling about Roger Federer and Roland Garros 2019? Well, I think he played very well in both Madrid and in Rome, uh, and he certainly has the game on clay. You know, for, for five or six years, he was the second best player in the world on, on the surface uh, behind Nadal, and, and he knows how to play on the surface, but I don't think um, Federer will go too deep. I think he could certainly get through the first uh, two or three rounds, a toughie first up. Um, I think Sitsipas, if they meet in the quarterfinals, I'd be backing the young man. Watched him play on that fantastic new court today, just practicing. Uh, you know, he looks in the zone. I, I really do think uh, Sitsipas could be the player that gets through to a, perhaps a match-up against Rafa in the semis. But going back to what Nick, Nick said about Rafa, for me it was always going to be judged on, forget what happened in Barcelona and Monte Carlo and, and in Madrid, how he played in Rome, I think, was really important. And I thought he played some of the best tennis we've seen from Rafa on clay um, over the last week. Uh, that final against Djokovic, it was, it was a statement that he made. And for 86 wins, two defeats, something like 115 best of five set match wins and two defeats. As long as he continues to play tennis, for me, he'll always start as a favourite at Roland Garros. And Nick, I don't know whether you want to reveal this, but on Roger Federer, you made a, a friendly wager with one of our colleagues from Live at RG. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he was saying that he didn't even think that Roger was going to make week two. And I said I'm happy to buy him a beer if Roger doesn't <laughs> make it to week two. Because really, to me, when you look at the draw, he's potentially got... First, he's got Lorenzo Sanago, the Italian, who could grind him down or could grind him through three or four or five sets even. Berrettini's looming. You could have Cecchinato. You could have Schwartzman. But I actually think this is uh, the quarter of question marks to me because you've got Tsitsipas. How does he handle the pressure of being the number six seed? You've got Vavrinka. You've got Marin Cilic, who hasn't necessarily been finding his form recently. Uh, you've got Christian Guerin. You've got Francis Tiafo. Uh, to me, the opportunity for Roger Federer to perhaps win a couple matches, get his feet underneath him, and then Matteo Berrettini. He's seeded all of a sudden. Can he handle the pressure? He didn't. He had a great win beating Sasha Zverev in Rome, and then sort of crumbled in the next round. So, uh, do I think Roger is contending for the title? Uh, not necessarily. Do I think that he could get into the last eight, even the last four? I actually think so. Yeah. The biggest relief for me is ATP Tennis Radio, we run a predictions competition around the Masters. I think I've gone from middle table to the relegation zone. The wonderful thing about Roland Garros is we don't do it for the Grand Slams. So I can look at this very complex draw. Matt, we can go into the top half where there's Novak Djokovic and Sasha Zverev and Dominic Thiem and Juan Martin Del Potro to name just a handful. And I don't have to predict anything. But that is the half. The one thing I can safely say is that is the one half you would have wanted to avoid. Yeah, without a doubt. I think Djokovic to get to the final is going to have to play, well, as he has in the last three Grand Slams, of course. It was the Cecchinato loss was in the quarterfinals here last year was his last defeat when he stormed out of a media conference and sort of said he might not play Wimbledon. It seems such a long time ago. But uh, Djokovic uh, will have to be a favourite to go through. I think Team Djokovic semi-final, if it eventuates, could be something really special. But, um, yeah, that's tough. Um, I know you don't like to predict too much, Gigi, but I, one th thing I did think you might come up with was maybe dark horse have we got a dark horse because we are talking about these these huge names the stars but what do you okay three. what do you call a dark horse because i've had this with people before oh, and they're right. picking someone who's like 24 in the world i'm like yeah yeah that's exactly what i was thinking so Stan Vavrinka, uh, uh, given the form he how can a former winner nick former you're going to be the judge here. how can a former winner well, be a dark horse can it you can be when you're ranked down at 24 and you haven't been no uh, on the sure. scene in terms of contending in the big tournaments for some time Nick McCarvel, or does it cast, have to be casting? Can a former champion be a dark horse? Yeah, it's actually an interesting debate. <laughs> you know, for me, actually, I would agree on Vavrinka. Yeah, he could be a dark horse in the sense of you look at him; he is the number what twenty-four seed, and he hasn't necessarily been his. Would Would you like to pick him as one of your favorites? I'm not predicting. I don't have to predict in this tournament. <laughs> I, I, we, we'll We'll give our We'll give our winner at the end, and that's something we had to do at the very start of the year. But I, I just think when it comes to dark horses, surely you're looking at fifty and below. You You can't have someone in the top fifty to be a dark horse. You can't. And you definitely can't but have that, a former but, champion. But to me, I have to say though, when you look at men's tennis right now they can certainly be inside the top 50. Because look at who's won the titles. Look at who's won the Grand Slams, the Masters 1000s. These top guys have dominated. So someone like Stan, right now, ranked outside the top 20, 
I think he does deserve that dark horse status. Oh, I'm not sure. At ATB Tennis Radio on Twitter, if you'd like to, to have a say on this one. But Novak Djokovic, he's looking to hold all four at the same time for a second time in his career, Matt. That would be phenomenal. It would be. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, Rod Laver has done it. I think uh, Roy Emerson has done it. But it, it, it would. But that was before the Open era. Uh, it would be incredible. And he's got the game to do it. And and he would take, even though he was well beaten in the end by Nadal in Rome, his form on the clay got better and better after you know some below his best after the Australian Open on the hard courts in the United States. So I think he has timed his run pretty well. And you know he can play best of five sets and, and go to the wire. He's done it here against Nadal at Roland Garros. Um, he's he's taken him to the to to the limit, and he's certainly capable. Uh, I he's got a tough draw. Looking at Novak Djokovic's draw, a very tough match against a young Polish player. Um, her cat's first up, and I think uh, looking down, you know, there's a Shapovalov in there that can hurt him. Borna Chorich, some some good clay court players as well. Bautista Agut even has played him very well on, uh, albeit on hard courts, a couple of times this year. So yeah, it's a tough draw um, for Djokovic, and as I say, Dominic team looming. And an interesting piece of news that came through today, Nick, about the Lever Cup. It's been announced as an official ATP Tour event. Yeah, uh, joining forces, essentially, ATP and uh, the Labor Cup in late September. And Roger, saying, Roger Federer saying how excited he is to not further solidify, but have this event be recognized as such. And uh, we don't think at this point that there'll be points on offer, but you've got the physio and the branding and the marketing team and the whole sort of ATP resources going into what has... I mean, you guys, I was there on the ground in Chicago last year, and... It was incredible to see five sessions of 17,000 people packed to the rafters and not just there, honestly, to see Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. I mean, the the American fans in that arena, they actually got behind Diego Schwartzman and John Isner and really rooting them on. It was really cool, and I think it's an exciting development for the event. Yeah, and we'll just keep an eye on more news from that throughout the year. Now, another man arriving in confident mood is Austrian Dominic Team. He won an ATP 500 clay event in Barcelona recently, but also, and very significantly for him, his first Masters 1000 title earlier this year. That was on the hard courts of Indian Wells. And ATP Tour Uncovered spent some time with him on a training trip back home. It is showtime in Indian Wells. Finals day. Dominic Team up against Roger Federer. It's uh, my birthplace tennis-wise, I would say. I'm practicing here since 18, 17, 18 years, so such a long time. And that didn't really change since then. Everything, everything is still the same. And yeah, it's, it's great facilities. I think it's nice. I mean, I, I know everything. Also, everybody knows me since the very beginning. So even now that I'm uh, on the ATP tour, everybody's still treating me the same. That's very nice. I can basically act however I want here because yeah everybody knows me since a very young age and uh, that's also very important and uh, it feels safe somehow whenever I come back home I come to this place to practice and to, to spend almost the whole day. For my dad it's nice because he's working a lot and still he, he sees his kids I mean when, when we were young I think it was even more important because yeah, many dads unfortunately work also that much and don't see their kids a lot. We had this luck that we were basically all together here in that place. And it was also in Austria where Dominic recently teamed up with his new coach Nicholas Massu. The key moment was before Indian Wells. We were searching for a touring coach and he was, he was in Austria for, for the Davis Cup. And then we said we tried out in Buenos Aires and also Rio, and it worked out well. I liked how the practice goes and everything. I was there in Salzburg, so we started to speak. And then they invited me to go to Buenos Aires for the ATP. So I live so close to Buenos Aires. I live in Santiago, so one hour flight. So I arrived there to know all the team. And it was an amazing moment. 
did all the preparation before Indian Wells with him. Came there 14 days before the tournament start. He was not in his best uh, physical moment two and a half weeks before. He's done it, and the top seed team is out. We were hoping that arrive close to 80, 90 percent to Indian Wells. I cannot expect the Masters because it's, it's so tough to win one. You have to beat like five or six really good players. I didn't expect it, but I didn't expect it at all in, to happen in Indian Wells because of my bad start of the season. Sometimes the things they come unexpected, and uh, I played better and better from from every round on. What a moment for Dominic Team! The Austrian can celebrate, and he moves into his very first Indian Wells final. Final gonna be great. Trying everything to, to play a good match. Good luck in the final tomorrow. Thanks. A lot of work goes in, yes, but most of the people, they, they have a job and they are in the office or anywhere else from, I don't know, from 8 to 5 or something. And I'm here from, let's say, 10 to 6 or something. So it's, it's a normal job and it's a lot of effort. But it's a great honor to do this job and to travel all around the world. And if the results are fine, uh, everything pays off. Back in Indian Wells and team was preparing to take on Roger Federer in the final. He definitely wants to give it all he has. I like his playing style, you know, one-handed backhand. There's a lot of power, spins and slices and kicks and all that stuff. And I think it serves him well here in the desert. It's always something special to play him and also something special to compete in a Masters 1000 finals. It's, it's only my third one. I arrived not in a good shape, neither physically nor tennis-wise, nothing. It's amazing that, that I came this far and hopefully it's not the end. my best ever. It's not so easy to arrive like with some uh, physical problems and then like in 15 days or 20 days win a Master Series on hardcourt to beat uh, Roger Federer, the best player for the history of tennis in the final. So everything was amazing. It was a big, big highlight and maybe the, the best tournament of my career so far. And I'm really happy that I have this 1000 title now. Big one, and uh, nobody can can take it from me. Team, incredible that win for Dominic Team, his first Masters 1000. We all talk about him being the the heir to the clay title of Rafa Nadal. He wins his first Masters 1000 on a hard court. Yeah, I was actually there courtside in Indian Wells, and it was fantastic to watch him play that match, saving a championship point against Roger and playing aggressive tennis. And Gigi actually spoke with him before that tournament started, and he said what he felt like was the key was switching things up, going to Nicholas Masu, and then he said, I think they spent upwards of two weeks prior to Indian Wells, 10 days, getting ready, and he said he felt like he had a second preseason. So we hear about him being in Austria before the season. He said he almost felt like he had another go at it, whereas we've been used to him in the past going to Buenos Aires and Sao Paulo and Rio and winning those smaller but warranted clay events. He said he felt like he re-geared and um, the fruits of his labor came through. Who would have thought he won his first Masters 1000 at a hardcourt event? But um, he, he's really dangerous to me here. I think that we could really see, we saw last year the beginning of the belief that not only should he be the heir apparent, but maybe that he could be the current king of clay so at the end of this event. where's he in the list? So you're, you're, you're one, two, three. My one, two, three are Rafa, Djokovic and team. I'm not going out on a limb okay, there. Okay, so team. No, but no, it's interesting because I think some people, Matt, might promote team higher. By virtue of the fact he got to that final last year, uh, and so he's been in a Grand Slam final. You know, we talk about that hard court prowess now too, and that emerged last year when he played that incredible match at the U.S. Open against Nadal. 
um, just lost it in, in an absolute epic. So I think I think, I think the confidence is there now. He's beating big players regularly. He's getting to finals, uh, titles like Barcelona. Um, that's a big, you know, clay court title, beating Rafa there. I, I really do think uh, he can get to the final. And uh, so I'm going to go team as number two, Djokovic three on this one. Um, there you go. And I've, well, I have to go Djokovic one because in our time capsule at the start of the I, I put Djokovic to win all four. So Djokovic one. Then I'm going to go... <laughs> it's, it's tough, isn't it? Um, Nadal team. I was going to be different, but I'm not going to be different because it hasn't worked for me. So I'll stick with the Djokovic prediction and then I'll put team. So if we're looking at, if we're looking at Djokovic, Nadal and team being the three realistic contenders and Federer, it's great to see him back at Roland Garros, but in Matt's words, he's a dark horse. You mentioned Stefano Tsitsipas. Is, is he, for you guys, realistically in the mix to win this title? Is there, any, or is there anyone else realistically in the mix to win this title other than those three? Uh, yes, but, uh, but how realistic? Yeah, realistic because it's the Grand Slam, but it's seven matches to go and win the title. Look, physically, has he developed enough yet? He's still very young. Um, I, I put him in a similar category, although I think he's going better than Sasha Zverev. Despite Zverev, you know, being in another final this week, leading into the tournament, uh, but he just hasn't performed at Grand Slams. At some stage, everyone's going to be writing Zverev off, like I do again at Roland Garros, and he will actually break through and perform well at a Grand Slam because the guy can do it so often in tour events. I know he's been inconsistent this year, but there's another player there, and, and sits past more consistent now and, and getting big results. So I'd have him ranked ahead of Zverev in terms of um, you know the threat here at Roland Garros. Uh, but you know, that's another name though. I think. He could surprise us, um, such as Vera. So, Nick, who goes further, Sitsipas or Zverev? Oof, I mean, that's a good question. I think things would have to break the way for Sasha, for Sasha Zverev to go further than Sisabas. Sisabas, to me, continues to surprise us in a, to him, an unsurprising manner. I interviewed Maria Sakari in Rome, and she said, almost with a twinkle in her eye, that he's going to do great things. And she said, I'm not going to say what. And I think what she meant by that is he's going to win slams. He's going to be world number one. He's driven. She's known him since they were very young kids. Their moms knew each other. I actually think if Sisabas, who starts with Maximilian Martyrer, and then could get Prajnas Gunaswaran or Hugo Delian in the second round. I think if he gets going, gets that steam in him, then he could certainly get into the semis. But I would actually think that if we see a Sisapas Federer quarterfinal, which would be wonderful, by the way, um, you really do give whoever wins that um, match. If they're physically fit, you give them a shot perhaps to get into the final. And that would, yes, that would include beating Rafael Nadal. Continuing to look at some of those on the outside chance, we're going to start with a certain Italian. It's a Monte Carlo finals day with a difference today after an intriguing week of shocks and surprises. It's Italy's Fabio Fanini and the unseeded serve Dusan Lajovic. What an opportunity to pick up their first uh, Masters 1000 crown here in Monte Carlo. Fabio Fanini is the first Italian to win here in Monte Carlo since 1968. I can't believe it. I mean, I have to keep calm and take a shower. Relax and thinking about uh, about that because it's, it's something incredible. Nothing to say. Like to, to enjoy with my family tonight and that's all. Fabio Fognini may have won his first ATP Tour Masters 1000 in April, but the biggest moment of his life happened last year in Rome, when his wife, former WTA star Flavia Panetta, gave birth to their son. I remember that it was in Rome and Flavia was in Barcelona, so I was playing first round against Verev. And Flavia, night before, went to the doctor to see how I did the check-in. So I take the plane, the first plane from Roma to Barcelona, and I fly in the same day and the same night before. It was really strange. I say, wow, now something different, but the feeling was unbelievable. I mean, family is the first thing. It's everything for him. When I'm home, it's the baby, of course, my wife because she's 24 hours uh, with him. But this is the first thing when I wake up and the last thing, of course, when I go to the bed. So, I mean, I think it's, it's really positive because, you know, once I'm cold, I try to do my best. If not, 
life goes on. So it's, it's really tough because, you know, we travel every week, we change continent, we change to face, we change city, language, jet lag, whatever you want. And after three weeks max, I have to come back home because I miss them. When they are not with me, I WhatsApp them, I don't know, many times. When I'm, when I'm free, when I'm to the hotel relaxing, I, I would see them. I hope that he's gonna do whatever he wants. And if we don't tennis, football, whatever, but the first thing is it's healthy and happy. It changes, it changes a lot. I mean, uh, I have my time to recovery. I have time to play now, okay, with the baby. Uh, I think I'm in a good shape. Um, my body is healthy, so hopefully to, to continue for four or five years more. And Nick, I want to stay with you for a second because you recently interviewed in Rome Fabio Fanini's wife, Flavia Panetta. And it was just a fascinating because she was, she was really honest in terms of him growing up and how he's looking at things and, and having his young son. It was a really nice piece. Yeah, it, it was lovely to talk to Flavia Panetta, who's doing some TV commentary, but she says she's now full-time mom to Federico, who just turned uh, two years old and was running around as we chatted. But she was really talking about how she feels as though Federico and I think her, Flavia, have changed Fabio. And we know that he won the Masters 1000 event in Monte Carlo. For him, I think it's big on the body management. He was taped up. He's got some leg issues that he had. I think he was frustrated by that in Rome because he felt like in Rome he had an opportunity this year to go big and Cisipas, Stefano Cisipas managed that situation so well. But Fonini is in that part of the draw that has Sasha Zverev. They could play in the fourth round. And gosh, what a great match that would be to for both of those guys, I think, who want to prove some thing um, that would be big and you feel like if Fonini can stay healthy stay focused and maybe be distracted in a good way by little Federico then he could certainly go far I'm sure because ATP Tennis Radio has an exclusives channel on the tune-in platform I'm sure that Flavia Panetta interview with Nick will be up there and it's just it's a really nice insight and man it was so nice at Monte Carlo to see Fabio Fanini fulfilling that potential and getting his hands on a Masters title. Oh, without a doubt, he's, he's one of the players that you you want to pay to go and watch because you don't know what to expect at times. He can be incredibly erratic, he can be so casual out on court, uh, but he can produce the goods and he's got some absolutely superlative shot making ability and um, and we saw that in Monte Carlo um, it was it was almost I wouldn't say out of the blue but but it was what he is capable of a player who who should be in and around the top 10 uh, consistently he hasn't been but now I think you know clearly he's got that belief uh, whether he can keep it together best of five set matches um, here remains to be seen again it's that, it's, it is that brutal um, half of the draw quarter of the draw that he is in uh, but certainly you know if he gets it together look out uh, because uh, you know there'll certainly sort of be a lot of uh, yeah, some, some fantastic tennis um, from him over the course of the next week or so. Right, so Stanford Brinkman is your dark horse. Let me throw some other names out here that people might want as dark horses. And again, I would question these. Um, Kane Shukuri, Grand Slam finalist. Juan Martín Del Potro, Grand Slam winner. Daniel Medvedev, who is having a really good 2019 and shown he can produce on clay when he had no clay form coming into this year. Any of these names, Borna Cioric, Marco Cecanato, Laszlo Gera, Diego Schwartzman. I don't know, Matt, pick one or two those, Schwartzman plays so well here. He played so well against Nadal for a couple of sets. Um, was it last year or the year before? Uh, it all blurs with Nadal in terms of the matches we see out on centre court. But yeah, Schwartzman, I love watching him play on the clay. Um, don't know if he's quite powerful enough, got, got a big enough game to really go through to a semi-final or a final. But but yeah, very good player. Um, of those other names, I think Del Potro just hasn't had enough miles on court. You know, he's been injured. He's coming back. He's he's uh, but but incredibly um, you know talented. He's been a semi finalist. Uh, he is a, he's certainly capable. But I, I do think uh, I like to see Felix um, Ogier Eliassime. <laughs> Got to get it right. I struggled with Shapovalov initially, but so what no, is you it cracked it. That was perfect. I know, no, no, but that when he first perfect. came on the scene. But yes, these young these just young say it, uh, just Canadians. Just it's like a mantra yeah, over and over again. Exactly. So yeah, um, I'd like to see him go deep. Um, certainly, t- incredible talent. Um, and could play could play Del Potro in the uh, third round, which would be uh, cracking to see. Um, another player who's probably been a little bit inconsistent lately, but is capable as Hashinov. Um, love watching him playing, one of the best forehands in the business. Uh, so there are a lot of players who are there or thereabouts, but we still, you know, you, you look at the the three that we the three that we all think will be either one, two, or three kind of thing, and then you add in 
the likes of a Sitsipas and a Zverev as possibles. But I think Stan Wawrinka, as I say, is, is a player who could go really deep and, uh, and you know, perhaps topple um, Novak Djokovic. And mentioning Karen Hashnoff, it reminds me of another Nick McCarville story. Didn't you meet <laughs> his his lookalike? Was it in Rome? It was, yeah. I was in Rome for a few days. I stayed after the tournament, and I'm not kidding. I really should have gotten a photo of him. We were at a cafe getting uh, some gelato and the uh, barista, dead ringer, and I actually pulled up a picture, uh, his ATP profile, Hatchnoff, <laughs> and brought it over to the barista and said, I found your twin. And the guy cracked this big smile and said, oh, he is my twin. <laughs> <laughs> and he's oh, look, he's still young. It's incredible, these guys that you feel are a lot older than they actually are. But if I could sort of pull it back to the, the real youngsters, Matt touched on Felix Ogieliazim. They've got Jaume Munar, Taylor Fritz, who's been doing things on clay that maybe people didn't expect Taylor Fritz to do on clay. If you're, if you're picking one of the, the young guys, one of the next geners to go the furthest, in Roland Garros, is there one that Hubert Hercatch? I mean, look, he's got hmm. Novak Djokovic in in the first round, and and he's been injured a little bit of late. But who's your who's your next Jenna? Well, I'd actually have to agree with Matt. I think Auger Aliassime. Uh, I think he's in the final this weekend in Lyon against Benoit Paire. Um, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out should Juan Martin Del Potro get past Nicholas Jerry in the first round. That's a really tough match for Del Potro, who was so good, by the way, in Rome. I mean, if he can bring that same form over five sets, right? But uh, now I'm actually not quite sure if he's a next-gener, but Christian Guerin has had an incredible season, has won a lot of red clay matches, uh, was the title winner in Houston, and then also won in Munich. Is that right? Both of those titles. So uh, he's got Riley Opelka, who's proved Opelka has proved that he can play on red clay. But Garen's in that part of the draw where you've got Stan Wawrinka and Marin Cilic, both guys who've got some question marks over their names. And then if he were to make it that far, he'd get Tsitsipas, who's not necessarily shown us how he deals with big-time pressure as the favorite. We know how he deals with being an underdog, but now Tsitsipas is seeded to get to the quarterfinals. How do you deal with Christian Guerin in the fourth round if you're Stefanos and you're expected to win? I think that's, uh, for me, Christian Guerin could uh, have a little splash here this week. Again, this is why I'm happy that I'm not predicting. There are also a couple <laughs> of uh, French youngsters in the mix, and they were part of a discussion that Nick had with Carol Bouchard, one of the leading tennis journalists in France, but they started by discussing the very talented Gael Monfils. In Indian Wells, I was like, he can win this. He can win this. He was flying on the court. And then he got injured the, the Achilles. And since then, it's been, unfortunately, back to back to usual. I mean, Gael has been in under niggles and injuries his whole career. He told me in Madrid, the only thing I want is to get to Roland Garros injury-free. And, and it's not the case. It's may not be the case, so it's tough because when he's completely physically fit, he's so good this year. The game is unbelievable, he's happy to be out there, he's so strong. He should be the favorite among the French to do well in Paris, but with his body, you never know. He can walk tomorrow on the court and sprain an ankle or whatever, and I think he's still carrying some eagles here and there, so we'll see. What do you make of, he and Alina Svitolina have obviously been very public mm -hmm. about their relationship, they've got the Gems Life Instagram. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> They're so much fun to me. They go well with each other because they love to do a lot of things out of the court. And they have this, in French, we say the folly douce, this nice kind of craziness that makes them super entertaining and nice people to be around. And I think it's helping Gail. I mean, he's been playing amazing since they're together. So let's hope it stays that way. Yeah, certainly. So eight players in the top 50. But to me, Carol, they're familiar names, right? You've got Gilles Simon. You've got Richard Gasquet, Pierre Huguebert. Jeremy Shardy, um, Luca Pui is sort of the next gen, or, or he's the guy that leads. He's, he's not next yeah. gen himself. No, no, but he's supposed to be younger. the one who's taking after them. After the Australian Open, he got a flu from hell. He spent a week in bed, 40 degree fevers. He lost like five or six muscle muscle kilos, and then you have to come back, and you come back. It's in the Miami. You're not ready, so you're losing matches, and you're losing confidence, and you need to get your fitness back. And I think now he's fit, he's ready to go, but it, it takes time to rebuild. Uh, what you've lost and the pressure is still there because you made the semi-final in Melbourne and everybody's like oh finally and you know he's back on the right track he's going to do it Roland Garros coming he's still young I think it, it, it's tough to sometimes get your head around everything that's happening and he's been really unlucky the draws too you're getting Vavrinka first round in Monte Carlo you're getting Ferrer in, Bar in Barcelona you know when it's going bad it seems everything is going bad too so I think you just need to get out of this tunnel and he, he, I mean he, he's so strong he, it's going to happen um, and 
and for the other, like Gasquet, it's, it's tough because he's basically just back from uh, surgery, and it's, he has a lot of difficulty to coming back from from this, which is normal. So. I'm not sure, it's not getting younger, same for Tsonga. It's tough to predict, but they are big competitors. Uh, I wouldn't put Gasquet in contention to something in, in Roland Garros because he may not be fit uh, enough at this moment, maybe for Wimbledon. And Tsonga, you never know. He, I mean, Joey doesn't need a lot of matches to be good. Yeah. So What are, what are the health issues that he's facing? Um, for Gasquet, he got this hernia in the groin. Uh, and then coming back, the surgery was really, really big. The scar is massive. And then he came back uh, and practiced, but I think he hurt his back. And so he's just, he's just not fully ready to be a professional tennis player every week because his body is still trying to recover. Hmm. So that's the thing. He played, uh, he played a good match in Madrid, lost against Federer. So he's getting there. And Sangha now has some sort of... Sangha is complicated. Uh, he had mm. the knee issue and then he has his blood conditions that is getting worse and worse. So travel is it's complicated and he hasn't played a lot of matches. So he's in between, okay, I need to protect my body and but also I need matches. But it's Joe coming to a Grand Slam. I always trust his competitive instinct at some point. Usually when he's getting back into business, he's always doing well, but it's, they're not getting younger or musketeers. That's the thing, they're all in their 30s. They've played a lot of tennis. The young guys coming are really good. So you can't just pop in and out of the tour and come back at, at the spot you were before. It's not happening anymore. Well, Luca Pui, uh, you know, yeah. sort of has been the leader of yeah. the next gen, but I remember watching in the, I think he was in the US Open junior final, Quentin Allais, who's now 22. Quentin Allais, yeah. And then you also have Quarantine Moutet, who yeah, he's really is young. 20 years old. Yeah. But Hugo Humbert, uh, Hugo Humbert, Hugo, Hugo Humbert, 20 years old. I think, oh, definitely. Uh, him, Moutet, and Luca, but Luca is older than those guys. But um, Humbert is really good because he's a lefty, which is a big advantage. He's a shot maker. He has a big serve. Uh, he has a nice tennis IQ. He's a tall athlete. I think he's really going to be good. It's a, it's a shy, discreet guy, but the game is here. He played Vavrinka five sets last US Open, and the game is here. The game can be really spectacular. I really hope he's going to be up there because also for Luca, he needs to not be alone in there. So if you get somebody like um, Amber and, and Mute, with this young and, and um, spectacular, a bit crazy guy that people are going to love, you have three guys who can you know help each other to to get to the top but no amber people should really really have a look on, the, on him definitely we didn't mention benoit pair no <laughs> the fact that because you never know you, you never know what never you know, know. it's you like really the box don't. of chocolates you don't you don't know which one you're <laughs> going to get i mean he should be in in the mix but it's up to him to be constantly mentioned in the mix he has to be consistent every week and we should remember that the French are also the reigning doubles champions. But now with Pierre-Hugues Hubert concentrating on his singles career, Nicolas Mahou is teaming up with Jürgen Meltzer. But for potential champions, perhaps look to the current race to London leaders, also two I have not predicted in our predictions to be number one at the end of the year. Things can change of Juan Sebastian Cabal and Robert Farah. Winners of season in Barcelona and last week in Roma, Nick caught up with Robert Farah in the Italian capital whilst he was doing some post-match recovery. Now just getting a stretch is important to cool down to get the muscles back into a um, relaxed position and and um, into into their own form and from there a shower and a good meal yeah what's usually the a good meal for you post-match um, just got to make sure you you fill in your proteins and um, and greens basically a little some carbs protein and greens it's like no sugar no no, like very saucy, very easy to digest, but but clean, but but good, you know, for for your health. Uh, you've been on tour for a while, uh, so over the years, how much has all of this changed? The post-match recovery, all of those little things that go into making sure that you're ready to play your best tennis. Yeah, of course, through through your career, you you keep improving on the small little things you can improve and. Obviously, the cooldowns and being ready for matches—it's uh, very important. You try to to get your team as as uh, professional as it as it can be. So, I mean, obviously, it's important to have a, a good coach, but also a good um, fitness coach and a good physio. So, I feel like those are very important things to have. And and you gotta check all the boxes right now. Like every everyone is being so professional and. And there's very small margins, so you got to find those little margins and and try to try to excel over the others, or at least match them. 
I spoke with Jeff Kutze last year in Madrid, and he sort of talked about the commitment that the three of you guys have to each other. Yourself, obviously, Juan Sebastian Cabal, and Jeff, your coach. What does that unit make up? Or when you guys are working together, do you feel like you know you compete obviously with the best in the world? Yeah, of course. With Jeff, we started working on November of 13, and I feel like he's been uh, a huge help for us and and. And part of the group is, is part of the family, and and for me, um, my partner Sebas and uh, and me are like brothers, and and it was important to find a coach that that will be on the same page as us, um, and and well, I mean, it's been it's been quite a, a good ride, I guess. So you guys come in as defending champions, and I actually mentioned that to Jeff the other day, and he said, "Don't." Don't tell the guy. Don't remind the guys. What's different when you're at a tournament and you'd want and you've won the year prior? Uh, I don't think I've been thinking about it that much. I think I've taken this year as a new year, and from the beginning of the year, I've been trying to to. I mean, the goal is to. I mean, obviously, be healthy and to be able to compete at 100%. So for me, that was last year's goal, and it's going to be my my personal goal for the rest of my career to be able to give. 100% in practice and in matches, and once I check that box, um, I feel like the next the next um, goal is to to get to the O2. So uh, for me, getting to that final stage means you had a great year, and I'm not thinking that much about oh I gotta defend on this term, I gotta defend on that other term. I'm more thinking about the overall year and how and doing my best in every tournament to to be able to get to to the Masters. Uh, you're going through a whole stretching regiment, which are obviously our radio listeners won't be able to see, but this is, I'll, I'll leave you to this. The last thing I'm going to ask you is, you know, the doubles game has really picked up in the last few years. The professionalism you mentioned, the teams. Uh, what sort of goals do you guys have, and, and how do you try to make sure that you're among those top teams in the world? For me, it's everything about discipline. Um, you got to be... You, you, I mean, you can talk all about it, but you got to put the work, you know, it's not it's not about talking about it. It's not about going over the plans. It's actually about executing and and going out there, doing the things you have to do, eating the right things, uh, putting your body in a, in a position where you can compete. And at the end, uh, it's all about going over hurdles and and challenging yourself and and your team to get better every day and to achieve better things. Uh, he was just running around in here a minute ago. The newest member of the of the team, I think, Little yeah. Taco, your dog. Yeah. Tell us about Taco. Yeah, Little Taco is a toy Aussie Shepherd, and the guy's the. He's got bright blue uh, eyes, and, right? Yeah, my girlfriend and I decided to have him. Uh, my girlfriend went through like some some stuff with her golf, and and decided to get a dog. And I mean, I told her I will support you, and of course, and. I mean, we'll take care of it together, and and he brings so much joy to, to to our relationship, to the team, to 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 everyone, and and I mean, it's just great. Hmm. Uh, I've seen Taco several times making friends in the player lounge. Oh, it's yeah. good. I mean, everyone loves him. Everyone wants to take pictures with him. He's a very cute dog. So so everyone asks us like, what what breed is him or or where did you get him? And everyone wants to take a picture with him. So it's good. Like. Players are are having fun with him too, so that's the that's the uh, like the energy that he creates, and that's awesome. I love the fact, Nick, that his dog is called Taco. Little Taco was uh, actually a star <laughs> of the Player Lounge in Rome, um, running around. He's a, a shepherd mix, I think, and has these piercing blue eyes. So this is the dog. Naomi Cavaday was telling me yeah. about a little dog yes. running around the Players Lounge. That was Taco. Taco. Yeah, uh, Robert Farah's girlfriend was there attending to Taco, but um, seriously, he was running all over the place, sniffing, making friends, but um, was very focused on hanging out with Dad when Robert Farah was done on the doubles court. 
what is it with players travelling with dogs? Um, <laughs> Kevin Anderson's not around, is he? He's got a little dog too. Lady, Lady Katie, yeah. But it's a way. It's, it's an important part of a player relaxing. I remember Kevin Anderson in a piece that Nick did with the Andersons last year in Paris. He says when he goes home, Lady Katie, it's it's a little bit, I guess, like have children. When you go home to children, mm. nothing really else matters. They take your focus. They're so sort of innocent and the unconditional love, and they jump. Well, maybe not children, but dogs jumping around <laughs> you, licking your face. Well, children my children, too. my children. <laughs> can I say my children don't do that? But it's it's a way of it's a way of switching off. And I guess if you're going to travel, the smaller the canine companion, probably the better. Yeah, true. No, exactly. Yeah. All right. So you're not going to be traveling. You're not, not, not going to travel with a dog. You're not going to be traveling with a dog. Didn't bring the dogs. Didn't bring the children. I want to. So I'm going to get a very final prediction. Who's going to win this? We're going to be back with a podcast on the middle Sunday, and then when it's all done and dusted. But your favourite round one matchup, please. There are some mouthwatering. We can no longer have Cameron Norrie against Nick Kyrgios because Nick Kyrgios, as we mentioned at the start, has withdrawn due to illness. But who wants to go first on this one? Well, we've got the, the lieutenants. We've got uh, Denis Shapovalov playing Jan Leonard Struff. Yes. I think that could be a really, really good match. Um, both players, I mean, Struff started the year really well in, in, in my hometown of Auckland, made made a final there. And, uh, and Shapovalov, well, he's just a joy to watch with his style of game. So love watching him play. That will be the, the pick of the round one matches for me, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for that one, too. I mentioned Nicholas Jarry against Juan Martin Del Potro, which I'm very excited about, too. I think also Casper Ruud has had a great last six months. He's been working at the Rafael Nadal Academy with that whole team. Um, actually was speaking with Rafa in the Player Lounge in uh, Rome. I think he's been a big influence on him. And he plays Ernest Golbis in the first round. So that, that would be... Uh, a big one to watch. And I think I'm just going to throw out there Fernando Velasco against Dan Evans. It's it, it's it's interesting watching Dan Evans and, and the way he plays and the way he's sort of chatting to anybody that will listen. And Fernando Velasco can be in a good mood, he can be in a bad mood, it can he can blow you off court with that massive forehand of it. I, I think there's some great matches out there. And and a final, your winner of the whole thing. And the whole thing is well, Matt I'm Brown. I'm gonna go out on a limb here. Rafael Nadal. Oh, he's taking a big risk there. Nate McCarver? Uh, well, I, I was reaching for my phone to see what I picked in the time capsule, which I don't, I don't remember. I think I picked Dominic Team, and in the time capsule. Okay. And I think I'm going to pick Dominic Team to win Roland Garros. You don't sound massively convinced? I'm not, okay. I'm not convinced, but I said it, so there it is. And I'll stick with Novak Djokovic. Uh, Nick, you've now got a dinner to go to which is lovely Matt you have a bed to go to um, and I'm going to I'm going to stay away from the draw because I just keep thinking about predictions I've got to stop I'm sort of dreaming about prediction gentlemen it's been an absolute pleasure have a fantastic tournament and I'm sure you'll be hearing plenty more from, from Matt Brown and, and Nick McCarver throughout this tournament and Nick and I'll also be working live at RG it's every day I think it's 7pm local time on YouTube, on the main Roland Garros website. You'll get behind the scenes content, some features. There's a wonderful feature that Nick's done on Court Simone Machio. That'll be on, on Sunday night. And listen out for Matt Brown on Radio Roland Garros, which ATP Tennis Radio is rebroadcasting. So thank you very much for being with us. Don't forget that ball-by-ball commentary on Radio Roland Garros. We have a lot of fun on that station. There'll be a lot of laughing. There'll be a lot of tennis commentary. And of course, it's going to be a mix of the ATP WTA matches and a lot of crepes because our wonderful technician, Stefan, at around four o'clock every day, takes a waffle and a crepe order. The man is absolutely fantastic. Now, if, you, if you'd like to, to join us working on the official Tournament Radio channel, simply click on the Listen button at the top of the ATP Tour homepage. Ask your smart speakers to play ATP Tennis Radio or find us through TuneIn. Radio Roland Garros will broadcast commentary throughout the day from first ball to last. It's Friday night in Paris. The excitement is building. They've nearly swept everything away and cleared everything up. The action's about to begin. So thank you for your company. And don't forget that we'll be back with you at the halfway stage finding out how things are going. If you like this podcast, please search the iTunes store for ATP Tennis Radio to leave a review. Review.